Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold here on Faith Radio. My name is Ben, and Anna Rask Emerson is our guest. She's an assistant professor of Old Testament at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, and she's working on her Ph.D. And one of the first things she said to me when she walked in here and we were talking about what we're going to talk about on the radio, she brought up the fact that she could talk about the complaints of the Israelites. And I thought, oh, boy. This will be fun because I remember uh, when I started reading the Bible from front to back and, and just going through and really digging in and trying to understand, I just got so frustrated with the Israelites and their complaints. Just frustrated. Like, come on, you get to experience God in these unbelievable ways. And yet the next moment you turn around and, and you grumble and you complain or you worship a golden calf or, you know, down the list. And God told me, you know what? You're the Israelites. That's and what I, I was going to say. Yeah. Ow! <laughs> You're right. Well, I am. I see myself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, thank you for joining Afternoons yes, with happy Bill to be Arnold. Here. Yeah. Wow. So um, where do you want to start today? You know, Bill talks about having a joyful classroom here on Afternoons with Bill Arnold as we open the Bible and we, we learn in a joyful way and we experience God. So, um as an assistant professor of the Old Testament at the University of Northwestern and, and the fact that you're working on your Ph.D. and really digging into the complaints of the Israelites, where would you like to start? Why don't we just start by talking about the initial chapters of Exodus and kind of we can lead into the complaints okay. and remind ourselves that between the complaints and Exodus and Numbers is Leviticus. So right. although we might not go too deep in Leviticus today, it is a cohesive story. Technically, Genesis to Deuteronomy is the cohesive story. And then, of course, it continues beyond that. But we don't want to just cherry pick and read these books in isolation. Right. They are together telling a, a narrative, a cohesive story of the Israelites as they leave Egypt and make their way towards the promised land. Right. So if you were, um, if somebody was going to say, hey, I'm, I want to read the Bible, would you say... Because oftentimes it just you, you think of a book you read from front to back. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Just read it like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if it's the start of your faith journey, I mean, a lot of people maybe start with maybe the Gospels of, jo the Gospel John, of John or something yeah. like that. But right. if you're truly trying to dig into the story of the Old Testament, Genesis is a great place to start because then if you open the New Testament, especially Matthew, and you're just trying to understand who Jesus is, you're going to get stuck right away in, in a genealogy and you're going to say who are these people right. who are the jewish people who's abraham what's his significance why is it important that matthew says jesus is a, a descendant of abraham right. and so where do you learn about abraham well we got to go back to genesis right so we're in genesis and adam and eve obviously they sinned mm -hmm. um and their relationship with god was severed like just right. never i mean just experiencing walking with him in the garden and then one day they eat the apple and it's over yeah yeah. One day, I mean, they choose to rebel and that intimacy with God is broken. And what we learn in the Pentateuch is that 
sinful humans can't have that same level of intimacy and be in the presence of God like they once did. Mm. And so although God wants to dwell again with his people, in the Old Testament at least, there cannot be that same level of intimacy. And so you'll see in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, there are some rules for how to approach God. God wants to dwell. God wants to live in the midst of his people, but not just anybody can go waltzing into the tabernacle, into the presence of God, specifically into the Holy of Holies Mm. where the Ark of the Covenant is. There are some rules and not because God is bad, but because those are, he is so good Mm -hmm. that it's rules for the people's protection as well. So we see that established. uh, I mean, the tabernacle is established in the book of Exodus, and then you get rules about how to uh, live in and around around the tabernacle, who can go in it, uh, and what the worship structure of the daily life of the Israelites looks like. Right. So we'll probably fast forward just a little bit because Genesis introduces, like you were talking about, those those promises to Abraham Mm -hmm. and Exodus and Leviticus. Um, give the the relationship between God and Israel, but there are some key themes and the the plagues and the exodus of of uh, from Egypt and the Passover. And- Absolutely, and those are some of the most exciting stories in Scripture. Yeah. I mean, you see um, God making Himself known not just to the Israelites but also to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, claiming Himself as the only God. Uh, but I would caution anyone that to not stop reading after the, the Exodus, after the Passover, because there are really crucial chapters after that um, as they journey to Mount Sinai to uh, talk about what what their new life with God is like. What I always like to teach my Old Testament students is God is seeking to establish a nation. And in order to have a nation, you need to have three things, at least, <laughs> land, law, and people. And it's in Egypt, he gets the people. I mean, clearly the, the Egyptians are threatened by the Israelites in some way that they try and do population control. So God is making a people for himself down in Egypt, but it's not then just mass anarchy after they leave Egypt, he's got to lay down some laws for their good. So it's kind of like they get their constitution before they then inhabit the land. Hmm. Anna Rask Emerson is an assistant professor of Old Testament at the University of Northwestern. She's working on her PhD. And here's my first favorite question of the interview. Are you ready for this one? Yes. Why is it so important that the people of Israel don't go directly from Egypt to Canaan? Why do they have to wander around in the desert for so long? Right. That's what I actually, yeah, I spend a lot of time looking at that because In a sense, we need to realize that they need a full comprehension of God's word and God's will in their lives. They need to understand who he is. They need to get to know him a little bit. They need to learn to trust him, and he is going to show them that he is trustworthy. And often we learn trust best by being in situations that might feel hopeless or might feel like we can't control them. And what's better, what's a better place to learn than in a very desolate wilderness uh, where you're divested of all resources and you need food, you need water to survive. And so this is a testing training ground for the Israelites before they get to Sinai and especially before they go into the promised land. But those 40 years to me seem like an absolute mess. Exactly. So clarification a little bit. Before the Israelites go to Sinai, um, they're on a, a several month journey down to Sinai. So think like southern part of the Sinai Peninsula. Those are not part of the 40 years. Those are not part of the 40 years. Those are just a few episodes, really only three episodes of complaining of the, they need food, they need water, and God provides for them. Even though they complain, they lack trust. It's not until numbers that that 40-year clock starts when basically the people coming out of Egypt say, 
you know what? We don't actually want this land anymore because it sounds too scary. We don't want to fight those people. To be honest, we'd rather go back to Egypt. And that's kind of like the heinous response. They're like, what? (laughs) You want to go back to Egypt? You want to get a new leader and go back? No, no, no. God freed you. But it's a freedom to obey him. It's not an oppressive type of structure like Pharaoh ruling over them. And how crazy is it? Because they saw the plagues in mm-hmm. Egypt. They saw what God did. Right. They walked, and uh, and then they were they were about to be um, eaten up by the Egyptians. God parts the sea. Uh-huh. Like, they walk through on dry land, and then the sea comes crashing down and kills the rest of the Egypt. I mean, they're seeing things that you and I would be would love to see and experience yeah. God moving, right? Yeah. Right up here, right in front of their face, and yet they're just... They said no. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some, kind of possible. some unique irony in the book of Numbers. It's something called retribution, uh, kind of retribution theology. Basically, they say, we don't want the land. We're too afraid to go in. We should have died out here in the wilderness. That would have been better. And once they say no to the land and choose not to go in, God says... Okay, you won't go to into the land. You will die out in the wilderness. I'm giving you what you want. But the amazing part of God is he doesn't give up totally on the people. He says the second generation can go into the land. And so there's that. Think about that. 40 years in the wilderness, you're waiting for your parents to die before you can go into land. They do know that. Mm -hmm. And poor Joshua and Caleb, who were the faithful spies going into the land, they have to wait when they did everything right. 40 years. 40 years before they can go and enjoy the land. That kind of makes it a little more real when you phrase it like that. Well, and when we read it, too, you know, we're reading pages. So for us, it's like, oh, it's not that long of a time. But yeah, it was 40 40 years. years. I mean, it says it's 40 years. It's easy for us to read that and think that's not that long. But think about how long 40 years really is. Mm -hmm. And they're just wandering around. (laughs) And God says, yeah, you're going to have to wait. Yeah. Absolutely. And in a in a desert, no less, mm. not a place where you can really um, plant down roots and do agriculture or farming. Uh, you, you're, you're seeking to just survive. But here's the other unique aspect is for all those 40 years, God gives them food. God right. provides for them. He takes care of them. Deuteronomy says, I didn't let your shoes wear out, your clothes wear out. I provided for you every step of the way. So I like to view the 40 years as really a punishment for the Exodus generation, but it's a testing training ground preparation period for their children. But he didn't provide for them how they wanted to be provided. For no, them. not exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But he knew what was best. And he knew that they're, when they were going to enter into the promised land, it would be a time of testing there, too, because there's riches, there's great resources, and they might get cocky and think, oh, we did all this. Look at all this. We've provided for ourselves. We made it into the promised land. And God says, no, I did that for you. Right. What are the patterns of the complaints and, and then the divine provision? Yeah. The, this the, is really the, cool. Yeah. It's really cool to notice in Exodus, the people complain, Exodus 15, 16, 17, they complain three times in a row, and it's for genuine legitimate needs they need water they need food they need water again and every time god provides and does not punish them in numbers it's far different you start off hearing a complaint you're thinking oh goodness god's probably going to be gracious again but you realize their complaints are not for legitimate things it's probably things like it says the word misfortune i would imagine that something like it's hot (laughs) we keep walking around and god punishes them People die in the book of Numbers as a result of punishments. And so I wonder, why does God's response change to the people's complaints in Numbers when in Exodus he was so gracious? And I think it all gets down to they committed to him. 
at Mount Sinai, they said, yes, we commit to follow you, to obey you. And so God says, I'm holding you accountable. Mm. I'm holding you accountable. But what I love about Numbers 20 is that there is another complaint for water. It kind of breaks the pattern and God does not punish them. Instead, he provides because in my opinion, he knows that need is genuine. Mm. This is amazing. Anna Rask Emerson is our guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold today. My name is Ben. Uh, she's an assistant professor of Old Testament at the University of Northwestern. She's studying, um, working on her Ph.D., and we're in this joyful classroom as we're learning about the, the complaining, the Israelites, the 40 years um, before they, they entered the promised land. And there is more where that came from next on Faith Radio. You are not alone. Do you believe me when I say that? You are not alone. The enemy wants you to believe that you are not only alone, all alone, but to make you feel bad about it. That's loneliness. And it's a lie. Jesus tells us that the enemy tells us lies to rob us of our joy, kill our hope, and destroy our lives. And so if you're experiencing loneliness today, Let me say this. You're not alone. The enemy is using the weapon of loneliness against a lot of people right now. But here's the good news. God is present. God is present right now, and he's closer to you than your very next breath. God loves you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You were created for relationship with him. And that sense of loneliness that you have right now, well, that's an indication that your heart knows it. Loneliness is the spiritual indicator that real love, real companionship, real relationship, real life are all possible. And guess what? Jesus literally came to make that connection with you. Do you want to know more? Text the word lonely to 877-933-2484. And I'll drop in on you to remind you that God is present and you're not alone. Text Lonely, L-O-N-E-L-Y, to 877-933-2484. Connecting faith to life. Faith Radio. It's a joyful classroom here on Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. My name is Ben, and Anna Rask Emerson is our guest. She's an assistant professor of Old Testament at the University of Northwestern, working on her Ph.D., and we've been talking about The 40 years in the wilderness with the Israelites, we've been talking about their grumbling and we've been talking about their complaining. We've been in Exodus and Numbers and and kind of Genesis and Leviticus, too, just a little bit. So welcome back, Anna. Thank you so much. We're we're grateful. But we're going to jump right now to Deuteronomy 8, and we're going to talk about God testing that second generation to really kind of understand um, and ascertain the inclinations of their heart. Yeah, Deuteronomy 8 is is very clear that God used the Israelites' time in the wilderness for a specific purpose. He first tried in, in Exodus in the early part of Numbers to ascertain if the generation out of Egypt would obey him, would trust him, would they be ready for life in the promised land, and we saw that No, they were not ready. They didn't want to go in anymore because they got scared. They lacked faith. And so God, in his amazing grace and mercy, says, okay, we're going to give your kids a chance. We're going to give your kids a chance. And so God is using 
the second generation in the wilderness to test, train, and prepare them. They need to learn to not be self-reliant or self-dependent. They need, as a second generation, to appropriate the law for themselves. And we're going to see that in the book of Joshua, they will renew the covenant and they'll make a commitment to God. And so you're hoping as they enter into the land, life is going to be good. They're going to follow God. They're going to obey his ways. And then you get to judges and that's not quite the case after that. But Deuteronomy is definitely very clear how God is preparing them in in the wilderness. But it also ends with a, a warning of punishment if they forget God, if they fail to obey. There are consequences for failure to obey and consequences for sin. And that's all because they made their declaration at Mount Sinai. Their parents did, yes. They will need to renew the covenant for themselves. But it's kind of like, yeah, the nation committed. The second generation needs to do it personally. But God is still, he's, he's giving them a chance to prepare themselves for committing to the covenant. He's teaching them about himself. He's revealing himself to them. He's testing their faith. And he's going to hold them accountable too. How old is this? second generation at this point? Well, they're probably, it doesn't exactly say how old like the kids were coming out of Egypt, but it's definitely um, when God said no to the first generation, well, they said no to him. It was everyone 20 years and younger. So we probably, the second generation were probably kids in Egypt or not yet born in Egypt. Um, but uh, after coming out of Egypt, this is where they were growing up. So I imagine by this point, we could have some in middle age, 40s, or so, <laughs> um, some younger, some older, but yeah, they're definitely adults now and God's going to treat them as such. Right. So Exodus serves as a unique paradigm for understanding how humans are brought closer to God and becomes the basis for expectations regarding a future Exodus. Absolutely. Yeah. In, uh, the new Testament, we hear about really the ultimate Exodus, uh, in a sense of being, freed from our sin as Christ provides that exodus for us out of our um, uh, slavery to sin, out of our um, oppression of, of sin. And so we have this kind of spiritual exodus, but also this exodus of we'll get to spend eternity with God someday. And so it kind of sets up a nice parallel or paradigm for the future exodus that Jesus is leading us out of. Uh, he's the new Moses, so to speak. Right. So tell me the... Um the connection between the 40 years in the desert and then Jesus 40 days in the desert. Yeah, this is a big connection here because Jesus is called, well, in the Old Testament, Israel has been called God's son. And now here you've got the son of God, and he's going to kind of redo Israel's experience where Israel failed in the wilderness. They grumbled, complained at every turn, lacked faith. Um, Even when they were at um, their most vulnerable points, uh, Jesus is going to show us that we're they failed, he prevails. He is fasting for 40 days and nights. He's out in the middle kind of of nowhere. Temperatures are hot during the day, cold at night. And after, I mean, an extended amount of time without food, that's where the devil comes to test him and to tempt him. And we see three times he's really questioning Jesus' identity as the son of God and calling him to change his mission or um, kind of um, change the nature of his mission so that um, it would compromise what he was going to do on the cross. And each time Jesus is tempted, he responds with scripture. I was just talking with some of my students today about putting on the armor of God and how 
we respond with the sword of the spirit. That's mm. what Jesus did. He's quoting actually some of the passages in Deuteronomy that talk about the Israelites' time in the experience, uh, experience in the wilderness, how they need to rely on every word that comes from the mouth of God, mm. about not testing God. And so Jesus prevails. He makes it out of the wilderness. He's tempted, but Hebrews says he's been tested and tempted in every way. He understands our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be tempted, and yet he resisted temptation. Mm. Follow-up question uh, with Anna Rask Emerson. She's an assistant professor of Old Testament at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, working on her Ph.D. So I was reading the uh, the 40 Days and 40 Nights with my daughter in the Jesus Storybook Bible yesterday, yeah. just last night. And I, I did have questions knowing that you were going to be on the show today. Um, any correlation between man cannot live on bread alone and then in manna? Oh, yeah. In essence, the manna is the physical bread. Right. But... We live out of we live on the words that come from the mouth of God. Right. That is our spiritual bread. And even Jesus talks him about himself as the bread of life, that his words, his message, who he is, spiritually satiates us, just as bread physically satiates right. us. He's spiritually satisfying. Same thing with water, too. Like, come to me and you'll never thirst again. Right. So, yes, there's a physical and spiritual connection. And I love that when he's instituting communion, the Lord's Supper, he blends it again. He holds up a piece of bread and says, this is my body. And yet there's a spiritual connection there. As we eat the bread, we are reminded of his spiritual sacrifice made on our behalf. And any other correlation with the devil showing up as the snake while Jesus is in the desert? Well, it, it doesn't particularly say snake. It just says the devil. Okay. <laughs> um, so I don't know exactly what form he took, but... Um, it definitely correlates to the, back, to the fact that we learned in Genesis he's crafty yeah, <laughs> and right. he's using Jesus' time at his most vulnerable time to come and tempt him and mm. get to him. How about this one? And then we can move on to a different subject because we only do have a few minutes left. But I'm <laughs> yeah. curious because we're going yeah, down this path right now. Obviously, there's a big correlation with the 40, right? The number mm -hmm, 40. Mm -hmm. I also find it really interesting that Satan comes to tempt Jesus and he prevails, showing how great and mighty he is. And even though he didn't tempt the Israelites, they still failed because they were weak and they can't do it on their own. Is there anything there to well, that? Is there a reason or intentionality that we see that? I think we need to clarify tempting versus testing. Sure. Um, James specifically says God will not tempt us, but he does test us. And the issue goes back to who is doing the testing. Satan can test too. He tested Jesus in the wilderness, in the Garden of Gethsemane as well. Jesus was being tested mm. and tempted. But when God tests, it's not temptation, uh, but God tests with our best interests in mm. mind. So it's who's the... Who Who's the, the object, of, well, not the object, the, the subject of the testing? Who is testing us? We can trust a good God when he tests us. Satan, on the other hand, wants to bring us down. So Anna Rask, Emerson, um, what, how does this all impact our life today? Yeah, I think I'd probably point us to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews also talks about the wilderness, and it explicitly refers to back in the, the wilderness when the Israelites actually tempted or tested God, I should say, tested God and hardened their hearts. And it's basically a big cautionary tale. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. They did not inherit the promised land. So, too, if you harden your hearts, if you don't listen to what God is calling us to do, you, need, you will not make it into the heavenly promised land, if you will. If we give up on God, if we turn our backs on him, we will not inherit eternal life. And we need to take that warning seriously, knowing that, okay, 
that could be a possibility. So I'm not going to let that be true of me. I'm not going to harden my hearts. I'm not going to refuse to listen to God. I'm not going to disobey or lack trust in him. And if I do confess and move forward, but it's a cautionary tale to say this applies to us too. The object lesson is the Israelites in the wilderness. Don't be like them. Mm. Don't be like them. Yet at the end, they end up getting into the promised land. The kids. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. The kids. Mm -hmm. Well, the second generation. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, was that, I mean, we, we hear the story of walking around Jericho mm-hmm. and blowing the trumpets and yep. making all this noise. Um, what was, what was that like? Was it hard? I'm sure it was challenging. I, I think that the second generation was probably still scared. Sure. Um, I'd have to review how many times God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. Right. I'm sure it was scary. The The people of Jericho, they did have a well-fortified city. Right. <laughs> um, but the crazy part is when we hear about the spies talking to Rahab, she actually says, we're afraid of you. And I love that because it shows that just as much as they're afraid of them, they're, the Israelites are afraid of them too. But God, it, it's his battle. The battle belongs to the Lord and God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. I'm going to go with you. And so while it might be scary, God's the ultimate one who is, who is responsible for this. The Israelites need to be obedient to him. But I would also feel like even if it might be a little scary, this is, this is the fulfillment of God's promises. Hundreds of years ago, God told Abraham, I will give you this land. I will make you into a nation and a people. Mm. And my favorite thing to say is God did it. Mm. Amen. <laughs> I think that that plays a big role today, too, where oftentimes we're afraid of things. Oh, yeah. And the other side is just as afraid of us. But we have God on our side, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What a great lesson The battle today. belongs to the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Sister Anna Rask Emerson <laughs> on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. We're talking Old Testament today, an assistant professor of Old Testament at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. And um, we'll be praying for you as you work on your Ph.D. Thank I know you've got, you know, you got a long <laughs> yeah. road. I know you got a long road. Thank you again Thank for joining you. us. It was this, a lot of fun. This is Faith Radio. Being vulnerable is terrifying (laughs) at times. Hi, I'm Ben. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. Being vulnerable doesn't just give you spiritual power, but it helps you heal. It makes you more attractive. I heard this last Friday, and I thought, ooh, can we get Dr. Marcus Bachman on Faith Radio to talk about vulnerability today? This is what this person said. His name is Austin French. He's a a Christian singer and songwriter, he said, the more vulnerable you are, the more people you'll reach. And I thought, wow, our mission here at Faith Radio is to reach people for Christ, nurture believers in their spiritual growth. We want to reach people. How can we become more vulnerable? So Dr. Bachman, thanks for joining Afternoons with Bill Arnold. We're so grateful that you're here. It's great to be here. It's a great subject for all of us to understand more deeply. People are terrified of being vulnerable. You don't want to air your dirty laundry. You don't, you know, when you think of social media or life, it's all of our greatest hits, right? That's what culture tells us to do. Only show your best vacations or your best car that you're renting and you don't even own or whatever it is. Uh, don't show the things that show that you're weak. Oh, what, a, what a life it is on Facebook and social media. Ooh. Wow. You know, we, we really do have to be perfect 
or exciting or extraordinary or a sense of, you know, it's never okay if we're overweight or if we don't make enough money or if we're not smart enough and all the shoulds in our life. And people can't relate to all of that. What they relate to is for you and I, Ben, to be real. Right. And when a pastor shares in his message, uh, when he goes into that realm of his personal life, just for a moment, I'm telling you, ears are listening. Mm -hmm. People desire to hear, you mean you struggle also? Mm. You've sinned also? Mm. Yes. That's a pastor. That's a teacher. That's a parent. That's a friend Mm. that I belong to more. Yeah. Amen. The definition of vulnerability um, is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's a, that's a pretty negative, fearful approach toward vulnerability. And it's true. There's absolutely risk involved. But if we don't have risk in our life, if we don't step out and tell our story and tell others who we can trust, and we need to be really mindful of who we can pour our guts out into. But if we don't do that, we are going to be in a place of never being known, never being real. And I I don't want to minimize there is risk involved. It's a hard thing. But in life, if we don't do the hard things, mm. then we're not going to move to the next chapter of our life. Today, today I was, um, I, I, I do believe in HIPAA and confidentiality, but I was dealing with a couple and I could just see that the wife, which is typical, is more emotionally attuned and more vulnerable. He has a very difficult grasp expressing, knowing his feelings telling his vulnerabilities, that marriage is without. And so if we... Vulnerability? Yeah. 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 If if they don't have vulnerability, openness, authentic sharing, what do they have? They have practicality. They they know how to parent overall overall well. But the marriage is lacking uh, a sense of intimacy, emotional and probably physical too. Hmm. We're talking to Dr. Marcus Bachman on vulnerability here on Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. And we talk about vulnerability and just so many questions pop up in my head. Without vulnerability, it seems like exhaustion. Does that seem right? Because you're trying to put on this front. Um, you don't want... For me, it seems like vulnerability is almost like a... Yeah. Well, here's well, that... who I really am. Yep. Let me share that with you. Yep. And as... Christ followers, it's a way to witness in a way that opens up doors and possibilities. Yeah. Well, you're saying that from a healthy, very healthy perspective. People who have chosen not to be vulnerable, oftentimes they, they block it. They numb themselves, and numbing can happen, as you know, in a number of different ways, uh, addictions, uh, alcohol, uh, you know, obsessive components to our lives so that they don't have to feel. They don't even have to think about that vulnerability because they either they've been hurt or they've been trained not to share their feelings, not to be that real. So for them, yes, it is work, but they become so familiar 
with blocking their authentic vulnerability. It's just like, this is how I do life. They go about going to work. They go about, uh, you know, watching TV. Nothing of significance, from my perspective, really touches their heart. And they can go for a lifetime that way, blocking it all away. Because, so, because I'm so sorry, because of trauma, real quick? You think it starts because of trauma? Well, trauma certainly can be a part of it. Uh, you know, uh, unmet needs, not feeling, sensing that we are um, had, had what we needed in our childhood. I don't mean to overdo childhood, but I will say this. If we haven't fixed and taken care of what happened before when we were young, it carries through our adulthood. I know I'm sounding like a therapist, but I'm just that's telling you, Ben. <laughs> that's what you're called to be. That's I know, your mission. I know. And, and I just really believe <laughs> people need to find a safe place to, right. to process their journey, to let them know it's all right to feel. And, you know, and, and that takes place whether we're in a grieving state about a loss or whether we have been damaged and hurt or whether we have been not taken care of the way we should. So, yes. A lot of it can happen from before. Uh, uh, we can call it trauma. We can call it childhood experiences. And it impacts every piece of your life. Yes. Everything. Yes. It literally takes over all of your relationships. Yeah. If you don't deal with what happened before, whatever happened. Yeah. Would you say we all have some sort of trauma that we should deal with? I would say that we all have some history that okay. we need to take a look at and how has it affected us. Hmm. Let's be honest. Let's have courage. Because it does take courage. Right. There's a risk factor there. And let's be real. You know, when we get together, let's face it. This is the most common example. Uh, you, you get a group of people socially together at your home. The men stay talking to themselves. The women stay talking <laughs> to themselves. What are the, the women usually gather, oh, let's talk about our, you know, uh, our feelings and life experiences and, you know, jobs. But everything comes with a sense of a closeness, a sense of depth. Mm. Men... We love to talk about sports or how to fix the grill and the cars that we drive and all of that stuff. You know how deep that is, Ben? Not very deep. (laughs) I love it. I cherish it. When I could have a relationship, I don't mind talking about those, those matters, but I really want to talk about something that's much more real and including my struggles of this week. Mm. So I want to go back to what you had mentioned. So there's some sort of trauma we might all be dealing with, let's say, and at some point in time, we need to address this in order to move on. Let's put ourselves in the position now, whether it's you, Marcus, Ben, me, we got a younger generation below us now. What a privilege it is for us to try and be vulnerable and show them what that is like, right? So that they can start doing it from a younger age, because I think that's where we're missing the mark is... We're not doing that for our children and the younger yeah. generation and showing them it's okay to be vulnerable. And no wonder we end up with so many problems. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing to have a parent admit to their son or daughter, I've made a mistake. Mm. I have not loved your mother the way I should. I got angry and I, I lost it. I mean, the authenticity of a child, a teenager, a young adult hearing that from their parent, powerful. Because... Obviously, we're all imperfect people. You know, there used to be a book out in the 80s by Thomas, I'm okay, you're okay. The truth is, I'm not okay, and you're not okay. (laughs) Because without Christ, without his grace, and without his forgiveness, 
we will never be okay. But a child understanding, hearing that. So the next generation, why it is a beautiful thing to understand, Mm -hmm. hey, I can be real. I don't have to fake it. I don't have to be in a club or in a some kind of a suit or whatever it is that shows me to be a different person. I, I, I will say this. I think this next generation knows exactly what authenticity with what realness is about. I think they don't struggle as much as my generation, and I'm in my 60s. I think that they have a smell <laughs> when they see people who are real oh, yeah. and they gravitate to it. Mm. And they, they, they know that that has high importance. Um, my generation can fake it for a long time. Mm. The truth is we all have hope wherever we're struggling in this area. And whether it's trauma or whether it's learned behavior or whether we just didn't have the parent that... Um, was real with us, and the good news is it's never too late. I've seen 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old men and women finally be themselves and have freedom because that's what God's called us to. If we have the courage to move in this area, we have freedom. Mm. Dr. Marcus Bachman is our guest on Afternoons with Bill Arnold here on Faith Radio. My name is Ben, and I, you know whether you're... 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, whatever. <laughs> Dr. Bachman was just telling us, today you can start anew. You can start anew today. You can find freedom and vulnerability. And when you admit your weaknesses and maybe even laugh at yourself, you draw people in. And, and that's what we're called to do, to make disciples of all nations. And how can you do that when you're living in this prison? You know, the Bible can be really countercultural, can and The world tells us to keep our guard up, not appear weak. But God says... Boast in your weaknesses because they reveal his power and they make you more dependent on him. And again, draws more people in so you can have a bigger impact for the gospel. More with Dr. Bachman next on Faith Radio. Hi there and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. The more vulnerable you are, the more people you'll reach. The more vulnerable you are, the more impact that you'll have. I heard that last week and I thought, wow, really? And I went up and talked to this this gentleman. His name is Austin French. He sings Christian songs, writes Christian music. And I said, hey, when, a couple of minutes ago when you said that you were uh, learning how to be a Christian artist and a worship leader and you were up there and you were shaking about how to share Romans 8 and and you were talking about all these things that you were trying to do perfectly and standing up there. What did you say about that vulnerability thing again? And then I texted it to so many people. The more vulnerable you are, the more people you'll reach. So White and I got to talking. Who could we talk about vulnerability with? And thank you, Dr. Marcus Bachman, for stepping up to the plate and being vulnerable and then showing us how to be vulnerable and then to double down on the fact that, no, seriously, it's what the Bible is calling us to be. You know, God says to boast about your weaknesses because... They reveal his power and, and make you more dependent on him. You know, when we're weak, then he's strong. Amen. 
So why would we choose to be so strong? Why do we hold on to our strength? I mean, I'm doing it right now, not in this particular moment, but in this season of life, and I'm finding myself going, it's not working. God, help me to surrender to you. You have to have an open mind, open spirit to the truth of God's word. And it is so true that if we focus on our weakness being his strength, Mm. then it's not about us. And the most attractive person I can think of is the humility of a person that says, this isn't about me. Let me share with you the real side of who I am and the struggles that I have, but let me boast in who Christ is and what he's done. So the balance of being real, not pretending, and then sharing this is not about me and it's about who I live for, who I am rescued from, and who I am uh, who I am held accountable to. That is an attractive feature. And I think that it it does take courage. It does take risk. It does take, and we have to be careful, Ben. We have to be careful. Um, There has to be a side of this that we say, who can I be vulnerable with? Mm. Because if we are vulnerable to a person who is not safe, then we're going to have a higher risk of it doing damage to us. Mm. We obviously need to find in a relationship, friendships, marriage, um, counselor, someone who we can say our, 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 who our real self is. Mm. Vulnerability, it seems complicated, and maybe that's one of the reasons why people don't do it as much, because there is so much fear mm-hmm. in it, in being exposed and, and being um, labeled as weak or icky yeah. or not having it all figured out and put together. Um, there is some there. And then also there is some complication in what you were just talking about. But then also there is that slippery slope in being vulnerable and making it about yourself. Yes. And we have to be careful of that. I think we've all been in a, a group setting, a Bible study, uh, whatever, where it came, comes time to sharing and someone takes up half of the hour. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I'm sitting there as a therapist thinking, uh, that probably would have been good for my 10 o'clock appointment tomorrow morning. <clears throat> Rather than that person right. not having enough awareness mm. or having such a neediness. It's like, it's honestly, it's like the counselor who uh, gets their master's or PhD and they have such unresolve in their life mm. that they start to share all of their unresolve with their clients, uh, no, that's not the right place to do it. Hmm. So let's be wise, mindful of who is safe and what's appropriate, because there's plenty of bleeding hearts. And I say that in an honest way that that uh, should be more careful. You need to have a facilitator, by the way, because I really am big about if you're going to be in a group, don't waste my time. Uh, You need to be careful. facilitating so that everybody gets a chance to share and let's keep two minutes to three minutes. If it's a longer story, let's do it for a different setting. Mm. Dr. Marcus Bachman is on Faith Radio. Uh, James 4 says, James 4 verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And James five sixteen says, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I love the book of James. And you have highlighted here that vulnerability is also emotional healing. 
Yes. Isn't that the beauty of our own sense of having hurt? And, you know, it's known that in our society, we don't have time. Um, uh, my mother-in-law passed away uh, three days ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And, you know, 92 years old, a believer. I know she's with Jesus. She's just dancing and she's having a great time. But it's still not fun. It isn't. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, and unfortunately, my wife, Michelle, was not able to be there because she was speaking in another country. And so we FaceTimed and we had a little service before she left the nursing home. And, you know, we both just just wept mm. and just said, we said good stories about her. And we, we just said how much we're going to miss her, even though we know where she is. And I I love that about marriage, that we can come, even I did FaceTime, and we did it, you know, from uh, hundreds of miles away. We were present together to be real with what we were thinking and feeling and authentically. So I, I just think it does take it does take some courage. It is meaningful. It does enrich relationships. It is not an easy thing to do, but it is so worthwhile to have our focus be on who Christ is, how he saved us, how he's our, 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 the one that replaces all of this damage and hurt in our life. He's the one that can heal the hurt mm. and vulnerability will be a passageway to get there. Is there a way you can help somebody in that direction or is it kind of a decision they have to make on their own to be vulnerable? It's like a muscle, isn't it? Yeah. It, it is. Yeah. But I think that if you're vulnerable, remember, uh, again, if you're going to share just a part of your life and how you struggled, uh, I, I, you know, whether it's with struggling with porn or struggling with any kind of addiction or, or any hurt, that other person, you've just given them a ticket. They get to say, I don't have to pretend. Mm -hmm. I can be real also because you're you're becoming a safer person. And the more conversations you have like that, they may not be able to open up right away. But the fact that you've opened up once, you open up again, it doesn't have to be a lengthy story. But they can say, that guy's not perfect, is he? Mm. Nope. And that just says, I gave you a ticket. Well, and that means you're a safe place. And so as a yeah. calling, as our calling as Christians, that just opens up a wide uh, array of, of being able to answer or ask or or just show up and be and represent Christ, right? I yes. mean, yes. vulnerability is a thing that is such a, it's a superpower, but we treat it oh. like this thing that we need to hide away in the closet right. and shut and lock the door and never let it out again. Well, well remember... That the enemy, this is his territory. If he can shame us, yeah. if he can say, you know what, you're really a bad person. You're not worthy of having your story be told. As a matter of fact, you need to keep it in a dark place. Mm -hmm. I mean, the enemy just loves that kind of mind game with us. And then add to that, we have so many people that play the perfect game, have the perfect pictures, you know, all the rest. Well, I have a hard time relating to that. But I do believe that shame, the sense of shame that I am not okay, which we're not okay until we come to the saving grace of Jesus. Mm. But again, if we're feeling like we're a bad person, that there's something desperately wrong with us and we can't receive or are not worthy of being healed, 
that can keep us mm. back. Mm. Dr. Bachman is on Afternoons with Bill Arnold here on Faith Radio. My name is Ben, and I'm filling in. Dr. Bachman, we're down to the, the final five minutes. And so um, as people are listening today, as they're going through life, and maybe they're sick and tired of being sick and tired, mm. maybe they want to live a real authentic life. Maybe they want to do what we've been talking about for the last 25 minutes. They want to be real. They want to show up. They want to be vulnerable. They want to boast about their weaknesses because when they're weak, he is strong. What are some steps that, that we can take today to become more vulnerable and to realize where the safe spaces are to be vulnerable? Well, first of all, I I do appreciate that uh, we need to be sick and tired of being sick because there are plenty of people that will, for a very long time, put up this facade, and they're not sick enough. They don't feel sick enough, or they cover it. And I think the um, the fact that in a relationship, when you see someone else who's hiding, I think it's really a loving thing to do, is to call them out. I know, I I know that we uh, always will say. Uh, give um, truth with love, and and that is absolutely essential. But I think we really do need to have the courage to call it out in ourselves and call it out in someone else. Because if we're loving that person, they are have been hiding behind something that they've never fixed, or their anger continues, or their addiction is too intensified that it's impairing them, impairing the family. I think we just need to have an honest conversation. Let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about hard things. It's 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 so valuable that we would have the guts to say I want you to tell me in my life what is it that you see? Where where is the areas of growth in my life? I want you to speak into my life. Uh, whether it's it, it, whether as I lack in kindness or insensitivity, let's have that honest relationship. And I, I'd like to be able to speak that in your life. Are you open to that? Mm. I think that those steps of opening up that conversation. Uh, I would I wouldn't do it when you're too tired. I wouldn't <laughs> do it when you're not if you're too hungry. I would you can have it over food, but you know the point is. You, you don't want barriers. You want this to be in a, uh, uh appropriate setting, no name calling, no attacks, but truth hmm. about the growth areas. That is a vulnerable conversation to have. How do, how do you speak to the area of sexuality in one's marriage? That's a very vulnerable area. Should it be talked about? Absolutely. There is nothing <laughs> under the sun that we shouldn't be able to talk about. And that needs to be a given in a significant relationship. We need to say, is that what you want? Who's who's really going to say, no, I, I don't want to have that open, vulnerable conversation with you. I really don't <laughs> think that's appropriate for our marriage. <laughs> That'd be kind of rare. Right. But it is it is a sensitive conversation, and you can set it up that way. I know these are going to be some hard things for me to hear, maybe for you to hear, but let's have a conversation. Well, this has been my favorite part of the week. Dr. Bachman, thank you for joining Afternoons with Bill Arnold. This man, I'm looking at why it needs a radio show, please. Um, thank you very much. Spending the last 25 minutes on vulnerability, if you are uh, just turning on the radio right now for the first time, 
when this goes to podcast, go back and listen to it again. Vulnerability is so important, and it opens up doors for you to have a greater impact and a wider reach. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.